This morning's um, a little bit different from now on in. We're going to look at the passage that Alan read both today and next Sunday. So next Sunday at St. Matthew's, uh, I'll be preaching, which means I'll be taking a register, uh, which means some of you might need to rethink how you're going to spend next Sunday morning, or you couldn't care less anyway. Uh, uh, um, And we're going to carry on our Joseph series. Um, I didn't want to miss out, uh, so we're going to inflict that on them and uh, they can share our pain as uh, we go through it together. This morning, Claire was going to preach, but Claire went uh, unexpectedly to Bath uh, yesterday morning because her grandfather died uh, very suddenly. Uh, So we released Claire to be with her family yesterday. Uh, I was in Watford all day yesterday uh, setting up house with everybody for Emma, so I haven't got a sermon either. A variety of reactions were perceived within the room. Some greeted the news with great joy. Others were somewhat perturbed. Others needed to be reminded that God was still in his heaven. So I thought we'd do it together. We'd write a sermon together. How does that sound? You're excited about that? I can tell. Uh, So so, um, grab your Bible for a moment, and we're going to home in just on one verse and then try and draw out some implications from it as, um, as we go together. The verse is verse 20 of Genesis chapter 39. Let's remind ourselves what had happened up until now. Joseph had been given a vision by God of what one day he would become. But in order for him to fulfill his God-given vision, his God-given dream, he would need to um, charter his way through all kinds of life challenges. The first challenge, you remember, was his family and the hostility that he faced within his family. The second challenge was the pit that he ended up in. The third challenge you heard about last week, which was uh, being in Potiphar's bedroom, the the challenge of moral choice. Uh, And here, in verse 20, he faces his fourth life challenge. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. What had Joseph done wrong? What would have been the natural cry of his heart? Three words that we probably cry in different ways every single day. It's not fair. It's not fair. So this morning, we're going to write a sermon about it not being fair. And you're feeling it's not fair that you have to do the work. Isn't that what you pay me for, to do the work? So... Just for a couple of moments, turn to the people around you or chat to the person in your head. Ways in which you view the world and feel like it's not fair. Think of some situations where you think today, hey, that's not fair. Go. Okay, so what sort of situations are you thinking about when you're thinking it's just not fair? Yep. And should we, I mean, we'll use Syria to represent the whole refugee thing. Okay, yep. Poverty or hunger. Yep. Sorry. Young people dying. Yep. Sorry? 
Yeah, okay. I won't write that on the board, but totally with you. Brian's uh, in his... Um, he's about 50. He's 50. Uh, and he's very ill at the moment, just for those who don't know. Persecution. Now pause for a moment and draw it in. Some of these will be big. Some of these will be more personal and on a spectrum. Perhaps just quietly for a moment, think about an environment for you personally where you just go, that's not fair. That's not fair. Where it touches you personally. Because there's a sense in which all of these things touch us. It's not, whatever, whatever the politics of it, it's not fair that people are living in Calais and then getting moved on. That's not fair. Um, that's not a political statement. It's just not right that people live like that, whatever the circumstances. It, but we can find ourselves thinking about that, and then we can find that someone just pinched my parking space, and I was in the car park first. That's not fair. So take it, take it from up here uh, and, and, and just bring it down a little bit. The car parking example is a flippant example, but there will be real examples where you're feeling the tug today. That's not fair. That's just not fair. And even as I'm speaking, you can feel the pain, just the, the, the ache of that. It's not fair. How do people respond to injustice? What do we see in the world around us when people face or experience things that are unjust? <clears throat> Excuse me, that are unjust. Two minutes together, just again. Um, you can take it back up to the big picture so it's not as personal. So you've got, we've got the big picture stuff going on, we've got the personal stuff going on. Uh, how do people respond when they face or experience injustice? Go. Okay, what are some of the things that you're talking about? Frustration. Someone say violence. Uh, helplessness. Impatient. Bitter. Sorry? Motivated to do something about it. First positive response. Withdrawn. Unsure of where God is? Yeah. And 
would you agree that these are true on the big things that are unjust or un, sorry, unjust in our world? And they're also realistic experiences when we personally face things that are unjust? When we personally say, hey, do you know what? That's just not fair. That's just not fair. I, I was just trying to think, even as we were writing them down, about what, what, what kind of, what, what's overarching here in terms of the way that we would naturally respond when we're faced with something that's unjust to us uh, personally, or, or we see something that's unjust, that, that touches us, that, that hurts us. I, I, think, I think bitterness is probably right up there. We, we, we get immediately kind of um, uh, full of angst and, and can so easily become bitter um, uh, uh, about the situation. Uh, and the trouble with, with bitterness, the Bible talks about bitterness creating a a, a root, a root, and, and how it's so easy for, for us to respond by getting bitter about something. That's just not fair. Uh, and bitterness leads to me feeling angry in my hurt, uh, and it leads me to, if I allow a root of bitterness to, to take root in my life, what will inevitably happen if a root of bitterness takes hold? It spreads, and you will produce bitter fruit. And one of, the, one of the problems that we see, and we see it both in, on a global sense, but we also see it in our interpersonal relationships, is that when you start getting bitter or angry about something, it spills over. So if I'm, if I'm really cross and angry with person A, it's hard for me to stay loving and open to person B. Person B's got nothing to do with why I'm feeling cross and bitter with person A, but it spills out. Does that make sense? Uh, and it's hard to contain it because that, that root is, is, is in me and uh, I've got all this angst and I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know how to process it. I don't know where to send it. And so if someone else gets in your path, then they'll get it. And, and you'll see it at home. You'll see it at work. You'll see it everywhere. Say, so I, I wouldn't go in there just now. Because you're going to get it. What have you done to deserve it? Absolutely nothing. Is it anything to do with you? No, absolutely not. The trouble with, 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 with when something that's unjust happens to us and we respond with a sense of, it, it spills out and we wonder why evil multiplies itself around the world. It's because when there's no justice, it becomes a, a breeding ground. This is an interesting one as well, I think. The idea that we withdraw. Some people... Um, uh, they withdraw, they pull back. Uh, and the same reality is true. If you pull back from people because you feel that something's been unjust or unfair, you, you start inadvertently pulling back from other people. You can't be really closed and tight with some and open and genuine with others. It becomes a contradiction with, within us. Uh, so some people, in the face of it, 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 experiencing something that's unfair, will withdraw with a sense of self-pity. Poor me, this always happens to me. I, I'm always the one at the bottom of the pile, at the end of the queue. Uh, it's, it's always perfectly fair for everybody else, but it's always unfair for me. Or that telling thing, I expected that to happen. And we're living with this uh, reality of self-pity. And Now, we've talked about the way that just affects our human relationships. Map that up onto our relationship with God. 
What do we start doing when something unfair happens? We start getting bitter towards God. He's often the first one that we blame. Or we withdraw from God. If he allowed that to happen, then I'm not sure I can trust him anymore. And the moment that bitterness or a sense of self-pity or withdrawing takes place in our lives, suddenly there's a a chasm that begins to open up between us and God. What happened with Joseph? What was Joseph's experience? What was his reality? How did he go through that experience that was incredibly unjust and yet keep his life, his relationship with God, and therefore God's purpose for his life, intact and on track. What was it that Joseph knew and understood that enabled him to climb above the mountain, excuse me, of bitterness, and to climb over the mountain of self-pity, and to stay in a healthy place with God. You are the chief counsellor for the king's prison. Joseph has just arrived in your prison. His first words, as his bottom hits the cold floor, is, it's not fair. What are you good Christian counsellors going to say to him? What are the truths that will help him navigate this valley, or climb this mountain, whichever metaphor you choose. What are the things that Joseph needs to hear in order not to be overwhelmed with a sense of bitterness or perhaps self-pity? Go, talk to one another or to the person in your head. You right? Okay. What might be a truth that we need to bring to bear on Joseph's experience to help him move through it in a positive way? Okay. God is always there. Brilliant, yep. Look back. Remember. God has a plan. God loves you.
Okay, so God has a plan, but we might not understand it fully. Forgive? Forgive? Yep. Okay, yep. Praise and thanks, whatever the circumstances. It, it does feel awful. Yep. Understand God has a plan, a bigger picture. Yep. It's not the end. God agrees that it's unfair, is that what we said? Right. Anything that takes the conversation in a different direction to some of those? Okay, yep, bigger picture, it's not the end, and it's not forever. Serve God where you are. There will be unfairness, yeah. Brilliant. So, we, first thing is, you don't need me to preach anymore, because that, that came quite easily, didn't it? And uh, there's some uh, brilliantly insightful things that we'll reflect on together for a few moments. We're thinking about what it has to say for the big stuff. But remember that personal stuff? We're thinking about what it has to say for that, too. Uh, and, and I think um, what John was saying just a second ago it's probably a really important place to start. We, we, we want to cover things up and make things right and fix it. This world is unfair. And one of the challenges of the Christian life is that things will happen that are unfair. There isn't much in the Bible of the great heroes of faith having a fair time. In fact, we, we read again and again of the, the clash of the kingdoms, the fight, the battle, the, the struggle. It, it wasn't fair, was it, that Mary should carry God's son and then watch him die? That wasn't fair. 
It wasn't fair that Paul would be a light to the Gentiles and yet be beaten and whipped and all the rest of it. That, that wasn't fair. It wasn't fair that Peter, the follower of Jesus, would die on a cross upside down. That wasn't fair. Uh, and there is, a, there is a, a, a kicking off reality that in this broken, fallen, messed up world, it's not always going to be fair. And we make some, in our heads and maybe in our hearts, some quick assumptions, don't we? We, we assume, perhaps, or we want it to be fair, and then when it isn't fair, we say, well, God's left us. And actually, we know that's not the truth. We know that God is always there. Had God abandoned Mary, or Paul, or Peter? Does God abandon us in those moments when we feel in our, in our hearts that the world has kicked us in the stomach? No, God is there. And maybe one of the, the, the profoundest things that sets us towards a journey of overcoming our bitterness and our, uh, our self-pity and so on is to is just acknowledge that what's happened to me really hurts. It's not fair, but God is still with me. For, excuse me, for Joseph, the prize of God's presence in the prison was greater than anything else. He'd rather be in Potiphar's prison with God, than in Potiphar's house without him. So, number one, perhaps we need a healthy expectation that life is unfair. Right now, life is unfair. It deals all kinds of unfair realities. But number two, that God is always there. And perhaps alongside that, that God agrees that it's unfair. God understands that it hurts. In fact, we don't have a God who doesn't get injustice. He, he faced the biggest injustice of the whole of human history. That God should come to us and we should put him on a cross for what we'd done wrong. So we have a God who's not only with us, who not only understands us, but totally feels what you feel. Now, you will know that it's, it's, it's deemed, and so often is, unhelpful to say, yeah, I know how you feel. Because none of us know how the other person feels. But there is a God in heaven today who in the midst of all the injustice that perhaps you personally feel that you've experienced, who understands how you feel and is there. But that, in a way, is just the beginning, isn't it? Because there were other things that we quickly wanted to say. We wanted to remind Joseph to look back. And in looking back, Joseph's going to think, hmm, I've been this place once before. This prison is very reminiscent of the pit. And as he looks back, Joseph, uh, it's conjecture for sure, as he looks back, 
Joseph can see the way God continued to work his purpose, even though at the time he probably could see no purpose in it whatsoever. And maybe we're in that position right now where we can see no purpose in this whatsoever. It's unfair, it's wrong, it's unjust, it shouldn't be happening to me, it's not the way things should work out. But there is this telltale reminder that God has a bigger plan and that whatever injustice we have faced or are facing... God will work his plan through it all the same. God has not been taken off guard or taken by surprise or uh, panicking in heaven because of what's happened. He knows. And he still works his purpose out. It doesn't make the injustice right. It doesn't make it the way things should be. But that God will work his purpose out in the midst of it. That God has a plan that perhaps we don't fully understand, that there is a bigger picture. This is not the end. It's not forever. There is always a future. Is a very important truth. That the way we feel right now, the sense of injustice, is not the place ultimately we need to stay or that God wants us or where God wants us to stay. And forgiveness, of course, is such a real part of that. Somehow letting it go so that you can move on is, is the biggest and profoundest and hardest step. And as, as we say to one another so often, Forgiveness of ourselves is almost so impossibly hard as to become something we can't really contemplate. It's beyond us. Until we allow the reality of the way that God has forgiven us to so fill our gaze, to so touch our hearts, that we find ourselves slowly and imperceptibly, yet deliberately, able to release forgiveness to somebody else. I'm just going to spend about two minutes quiet. These two minutes will feel like 200 hours for some of us, because we're not quiet for that long normally. But literally 120 seconds. And I want you to think about what you thought of when I asked you about where does injustice touch you personally. And I want to ask you to think about which of these truths would the Spirit of God particularly reinforce for you today. This is a feast of truth. We can't take it all on, we'll be sick. It's too much to absorb in one sitting. But what is, what is the Spirit of God just quietly highlighting to you this morning, saying, look, if you remember that this is true, and in the darkness of the injustice, a little ray of light comes through the window into your heart, and we are all reminded at that point that it's not the end. So 120 seconds of quietness before God. What it, where's the Spirit going to put his 
finger. What truth is true for me today? Because we believe God speaks. Let's be quiet together. So, Father, in these moments, we allow the ray of light of truth to shine into our hearts where we feel hurt to that place where we cry out it's not fair it's just not right And we receive afresh into our hearts the reality that rather than you being miles away, rather than you having lost interest in us, rather than the reality that if this, is this has been my experience, you must have abandoned me or you don't love me anymore, we allow the truth that you love me, that you're with me, that you're for me and that you have a plan and a purpose still that has not been thwarted by this injustice. For some of us, maybe just where our hearts are hurting, for the first time in a long time, in that place in our lives, we just need to know that God is there. We need to know afresh that he feels it. He understands it. He totally gets the whole injustice thing. And for those of us for whom the injustice has knocked us off course, pushed us into a spiritual lay-by, caused us to sit down in the middle of the road of life and, and, and not know which way or how to go forward, we're reminded that you have a plan. That Joseph, even in that prison, was not outside of your purpose. He might have felt he'd lost his way, but the way was perfectly clear to you. And help us in these moments to lift our gaze. To lift our gaze because the final truth, the final reality is this that there will be a day when justice will reign. There will be a day when God, who is the supreme judge, who the Bible promises is always just and true, there is a day when he will put it right. There is a day that the Bible anticipates that is still yet to come, when he will balance the books, when judgment will come and no one any longer will be able to say it's not fair. 
Right back in the beginnings, even in Deuteronomy, that obscure book, it's a lovely phrase when, um, or Genesis, sorry, a lovely phrase when um, uh, Abraham is kind of in conversation with God about the wickedness in, in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham asked God a rhetorical question that has echoed down the ages. Will not the judge of the earth do right? And there is that assurance that goes through the Psalms on into Jesus who comes as the righteous judge. That there will be a day. Not only when justice will reign, but when all the no mores will be our reality. No more mourning, death, or crying, or pain. For the old order, the old way, where we cry out, sometimes hour by hour, if not day by day, hey, that's not fair. It's just not fair. That day will pass away when Jesus comes to reign. And it's a tremendous hope because right now, for all of us in so many different ways, it's not fair. But it's not the end of God's story. And it's not the end of our story with him. And there is a judge who says quite simply, don't take it into your own hands. Don't seek revenge. Don't get bitter and cross and angry and try and sort it all out yourselves. Leave room, the Bible says, for the rightful judge. It's mine to avenge. I'll sort it all out. That's his promise. And in the end, if we're in a prison of despair because life has been unfair and unjust, God says, leave room because I will sorted out. And he is true to his word.